into this late edition of the Denver Stiff Show. I am your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. We are currently recording this on a Friday night. Had some sound issues, had some, some audio issues for this last episode. Had to scrap it, had to restart and, and generate a new episode for you guys. But I thought, hey, this is important and we have to talk about some of the things that came out of the Charlotte game including the absence of one Michael Porter Jr. And I thought that that was something that needed to be said and something that we should discuss. So to help me to discuss that, I have brought on Deputy Site Manager of Denver Stiffs, Zach Mikosh. Zach, how are you doing, man? I am doing well. Uh, it's such a full disclosure. It was totally my fault that we lost the audio uh, from last night. So we are going to fight through it again, hopefully even better the second time around. You know, now my takes will be even hotter for this this redo episode of the Denver Stiff Show. So I'm excited. I hope everybody's excited as well. Yeah, full disclosure, Zach was awful in the last episode, so I'm giving him a, a second try. Wanted to really just... just let him breathe for a little bit before we get back into it. No, of course, I, as that's a good exactly boss, I tried it. to take credit. I t- tried to take credit for that mishap, but uh, but that's okay. We we can all blame but Zach. That's fine. Really, you just listen to it. And you're like, this is just awful. This is just awful. We're gonna <laughs> scrap it. You're gonna have to do it over. Oh, Come yeah. with better takes. But it's okay. We we should have some good ones. We've got some good things to talk about. Had some news on Thursday, I believe it was before ultimately becoming fine actually it was friday before oh no it was thursday ultimately becoming final on f- today i'm you know my days are all screwed up man i it's i we're trying to re-record this a day later i think the troy daniel signing was finalized on thursday before the game that's right Is that yeah, correct? Right. it was it was it was announced on wednesday um and then official on thursday Got it. Okay. And then we're We're recording this on Friday and posting it on Saturday. So not confusing at all. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So Troy Daniels, that's, that's a name that the Nuggets have now picked up. The Nuggets had 13 players on their roster, decided to make Troy Daniels the 14th player. He's going to be on a veteran minimum contract. Uh, Bobby Mark shared some interesting cap information that basically says the Lakers paid the majority of his salary. And you'll yeah. wonder if that yeah, so was one of the reasons why that why they're they're picking him up. Well, it's it's a I, <clears throat> it's um a prorated amount, anyways. So like the, even if they had got some other guy on a veteran minimum, it would they would have only paid whatever for the last like you know what, what twenty games. So we're talking twenty five percent of whatever the veteran minimum mm, is. Okay. So that makes sense. That makes sense. That's that's understandable, and that's that's how contracts work in the NBA. So that makes that makes total sense. But Troy Daniels. Career 40% three-point shooter. Doesn't really do too much else, but doesn't necessarily have to to be valuable in a specific role. Uh, What did you make of the signing when it occurred, and uh, what do you see Troy Daniels' role being in Denver? Yeah, so, I mean, a, a lot of people, I think, were confused about the signing. But I, to me, it's pretty straightforward. The Knights, they, they, when they cut Jordan McRae, they went down to 13. They were already short one guy. They have been um, all season. Granted, they have their two-way players. But, you know, we don't hear too much about the whole 45-day thing. But it is still technically a rule with those two-way players. So you don't know if maybe that factored into a little bit of maybe not uh, wanting to rely solely on P.J. Dozier for your guard depth. Um and that's the role, role that Troy Daniels will give them. He's he's clearly a guy who's not going to be part of the rotation, who you hope 
does not ever get minutes other than in garbage time. But he's there to be your long depth in case something happens to Torrey Craig or to Gary Harris or to Will Barton. You know, these guys have have injury histories in the past. Injuries can always happen. And if one of them were to go down after you got rid of Jordan McRae and you didn't have a replacement, suddenly you're really thin uh, at your guard position. So Troy Daniels fills that role, a guy who he's a veteran. He can come in and knock some threes if he ends up being called upon. Um, but otherwise, hopefully he will not see too many minutes. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. It definitely seems like he was signed to be the 11th or 12th man, the guy who doesn't necessarily right. play, but is a, a veteran who can come off the bench in certain situations they haven't been able to rest all of their rotation guys in garbage time lately because uh, Keita Bates-Diop is in the G League for some reason. Uh, Noah Vonley turned his ankle in practice one day. Uh, Bull Bull has obviously been out and, and will continue to be out this season. Uh, so it's been it's been situations where Will Barton is on the court or or Torrey Craig is on the court, or Michael Porter Jr. is on the court, and I don't think you want to see those guys in garbage time for obvious reasons, because the Nuggets have greater designs to make a deep playoff run, and you don't want to see anybody get injured. So even if it is just a garbage time signing, uh, there's a reason why Troy Daniels decided that he wanted to be in Denver. He signed this contract of his own volition, and I wonder if there will ultimately be a role for him down the line in case the Nuggets can't shoot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly, you know, I think Troy Daniels's options were probably something like this, no matter where he went. But with Denver, you know, you get an opportunity to know you're one, you're one injury away from probably being in the rotation. You're, you're with a team that's going to the playoffs that could potentially have a deep run in the playoffs, could potentially sure. even have a shot at, at winning it all. So, you know, it's a nice spot for him and it gives him a chance to maybe get some minutes if something happens and show some teams, hey, I still got it. You know, he's only 28, so I mean, he's not, he's not, we say veteran guy, but it's not like he's like so old, you know, on the way out player. He's still trying to find uh, a landing spot for next season and, and a place to, you know, he's trying to keep his NBA dream alive. So Denver's a good spot for him. Um, but again, let's let's hope that we don't see too much Troy Daniels. Yeah, I think that's probably the the best way to look at this, and and that's probably okay because you, I sure hope the Nuggets fans would like to see as much of Michael Porter Jr. as possible, and the more minutes that they devote to a guy like Troy Daniels, even if it's not in garbage time, is definitely taking away from the Michael Porter Jr. time that could be on the floor. So we'll see what happens. It was also reported today on Friday by Sham Sharania in his notebook on The Athletic that the Nuggets also explored signing Iman Shumpert and Joakim Noah before ultimately going with Daniels. Uh, Iman Shumpert, a veteran wing, uh, not really a shooter, but he spent some time with the Houston Rockets last year. Joakim Noah has been out of the league for a while, but was pretty productive in a bench role with the Memphis Grizzlies last year. Hasn't played at all. Neither of those guys have played at all this year. Would you have preferred either Shumpert or Dan or Shumpert or Noah over Troy Daniels? I mean, Shumpert's did tomato tomato. I think to Troy Daniels, like you said, a little bit different type of player, but again, same kind of concept, just long depth. Uh, a guy who transferred, you know, Shumpert. Um, 
obviously up and down, but but a guy who you can at least pitch to yourself as a, as a, a more of a defender, right? A, a bigger kind of guard that you can you can put on on people and at least give them give them a, some trouble because of size uh, alone. But Noah would didn't really make much sense to me unless you just don't have any faith in in Mason Plumley's health or if there's something going on there because they've got they do have Bull Bull and he's for for what we know it's it, this is just basically they're redshirting him this season they're not going to play him um, it's not a matter of like he hurt his foot again down in the G League or something like that right so. Uh, you know, if if it push came to shove and you ended up with a, a injury to Plumley or you know, God forbid, Jokic, then you could potentially put Bull Bull in if you need to. You have at least a guy who could play center um, there. Whereas, like with the guards, uh, I mean, again, you have PJ Dozier, but you're you're kind of in that scenario where you were th- really thin there. So, uh, I I mean, I I it didn't make a ton of sense for me to see them pick Noah over a guard like Shumpert or Daniels, if they wanted to add, you know, because they still have an open roster spot, if they were going to add Noah in addition to those guys, then sure, I get that, because you don't want to play Bull Bull in any circumstance, so uh, having an emergency third center is not a bad thing to have on your roster. But the Nuggets pretty much look like they're going to try and stay at least, you know, like $5 under the tax line at all costs, so um, that that doesn't seem to be in the cards for them to add a 15th guy on the roster. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, the only reason that I thought Joe Kim Noah might be an interesting addition is as a culture guy, as a guy who sets the tone, seems like a very Malone guy in that he's going to preach the process, he's going to preach high effort, he's going to preach and, and just be a good veteran for a lot of these guys. He's been in the playoffs, he's been in championship situations before. Not a lot of these players have. Maybe Paul Millsap is the only guy who can really attest to going that deep in the playoffs. So I'm interested in seeing what they do with that final roster spot. My hope would be that they just convert P.J. Dozier because I think he has a place on this roster going forward while those guys wouldn't. Agreed. But I like the Troy Daniels signing. I think that if if you're ranking Denver's biggest needs, the biggest need is that they need somebody to guard LeBron and Kawhi. And that's not walking through the door on the buyout market. Right. Uh, the second biggest need is shooting, and you're you're hard pressed to find a better shooter out there than Troy Daniels. So if he's a breaking case of emergency guy, that to me makes the most sense. Right. Uh, okay, let's move on then. Let's move to the Charlotte. Actually, you know, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the Charlotte game, and we'll talk about everything that went into it. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.
back. This is the Denver Stiff Show. Let's look at this Charlotte victory. It didn't necessarily feel like a victory for obvious reasons. Uh, the Nuggets only won by two points. It came down to a Jamal Murray game-winning shot in the mid-range leaning to his left on the baseline. It was a great shot. I have long been his one of his most staunch defenders on here just saying that he has the ability to hit those shots and make those plays, and you need somebody like that in a playoff series. Uh, that, to me, was one story. Uh, Jokic was great in the clutch. He had a tough first three quarters, but it happens when you're kind of just having to be carrying the load every single day, like you're allowed an off three quarters if you bring it in the fourth quarter, I, I believe. Uh, between those two guys, who was more impressive in your mind? Uh, I, I would go with Jamal Murray. He didn't have the best night shooting um, overall, but he his shots were big, and none bigger than the one that he hit right there with, what was it, like five seconds or so remaining in the game. And you're right. I mean, that was not it was not a good shot in terms of it was not a high percentage look. Um, but Jamal's if there's one guy on the team who can hit those better than anyone, it's Jamal. And so uh, for him, it is it is a good look, and he was able to knock it down. He had... Uh, you know, he had a couple of those shots where, where the Nuggets needed to stop a run or, or they were trying to get a run of their own going, and he was the one who sparked it with the basket. So I, I definitely get to him. Jokic, just with the foul trouble and, and the frustration, that really got to him. You could tell early on in the game he had a big run, like you said, right there at the end uh, and still ends up almost getting a triple-double. So, you know, you right. don't want you can't knock him too much. Uh, and I get, yeah, you know, it's he could have an off night um, because he, he's – carries the team every night but i mean he did have cody zeller and billy hernan gomez defending him so yeah i he could have been a little better but again i'm not gonna knock it i mean the guy what would he have like 14 11 and 8 so i mean you know you'll take it yeah if that's his worst game then uh, it's hard to it's hard to argue like again you're allowed to have those games every once in a while uh if it's like once every 10 or 15 games then who am i to really judge there right uh Monte Morris was excellent again once off, yep. off the bench. He had a really good line, uh, 15 points, I believe, five assists, really efficient shooting. Uh, Jeremy Grant was also very good off the bench. He finished this game over Paul Millsap, uh, played 28 minutes, and basically played the last 17 or so straight. Uh, that's a big deal, and I think it says a lot about where the Nuggets are with their power forward rotation, that they are very comfortable going to Jeremy Grant in those situations if the matchup with Paul Millsap isn't good. Right, and I, I think you'll see them go to Jeremy Grant in most situations to end games like that now. I, I think that is kind of the rotation they're going to settle in. Paul Millsap starts, Jeremy Grant finishes. Jeremy Grant's probably going to end up with more minutes than Millsap on most nights because that's they, they found that groove while Millsap was out, and, and it looked really good. And let's be honest, Jeremy Grant is much more likely to be the power forward of your future than Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap, there's a high probability he's not even on the roster next season. Jeremy Grant, also a free agent, but a guy who's going to probably be their number one priority in the offseason. So it's somewhat of like they're moving on to the next phase with that position. But also it's just right now, honestly, that like I, I think Jeremy Grant gives you a better chance to win than Paul Millsap at the power four position. That's not necessarily a knock on, on Paul Millsap, but it's just 
he has he doesn't necessarily look a hundred percent still and, and you can see it on the defensive end in particular which is what he is known for so if he's struggling there um you're really you know you're really suddenly kind of lessening what he brings to the table and jeremy grant obviously doesn't play defense at the same level as paul Millsap when Millsap's fully healthy but he still gives you a, another element on defense that you don't necessarily have um, with a little bit of rim protection, with a little bit of weak side help. And he gives you that element of of, of a finisher uh, off the pick and roll, uh, off cuts sure. that, that nobody really, nobody else uh, gives you right now in this rotation. So I, I get them giving him more minutes, and I think that's not just a, a one-off thing. I think we're going to see that pretty consistently. Yeah, I definitely agree. I've I've long been on the Jeremy Grant train. I think that he is a an excellent fit, and the numbers didn't really bear that out at the beginning of the season. But all players need a, an adjustment period to figure out Nikola Jokic, figure out just how good he can be, figure out what he likes to do, and especially that power forward position. It's a very it's a very nuanced position to play next to a center like Jokic because. Right. Because Jokic plays both inside and outside, he's handling the ball, he's in the post, he's on the perimeter, he's spotting up, he, he does a lot of different things. Jeremy Grant is extremely versatile in his own right. I, I had the luxury of going back into the, the play type scoring numbers over the course of Friday, and I posted this cool graph that I think really showcases the versatility of Jeremy Grant and just how how effective he is in so many different categories. He's one of the only Nuggets who can say that they're really good in transition and as an isolation scorer and as a pick-and-roll guy and as a spot-up guy. Uh, very few did players you, in, in the NBA can say that. Did you send? The, did you tag Kevin Durant in this graph that you posted? You know, I it's a table. <laughs> So I just decided to I decided to avoid the graph stigma, and That's even right. though I am a certified blog boy, uh, I wanted to avoid any any confrontations with the man himself. Uh, but Kevin Durant would be proud of Jeremy Grant's numbers with how many ways he contributes to the game. I, I can I can totally see it now. That's, that was a beautiful, beautiful segue between those two topics. I really like that. I um <laughs> no yeah I mean you're you're right. It's uh, his versatility brings something to the table next to Jokic that that the Nuggets have been looking for. I mean the Jeremy Grant's a guy they've had on their radar for a long time, and like you said, it took a little bit of time for for him to get acclimated to playing next to Jokic because, listen, when you come in and play with Nikola Jokic, like that's, for a lot of these guys, is something, that type of offense and what that type of play that they run is something they've never done in their entire basketball lives. Like, it is so rare to have offense run through a center who's operating, you know, 75% of the time, either at the high elbow or out at the three-point line. So, it... it, it it's an adjustment, but Jeremy Grant, like so many other players that we have seen, has made that adjustment, and he has become really what you kind of hoped you wanted him to be, which is he gives you a lot of what has been missing since Kenneth Farid has been gone on the offense in terms of, like I was saying, that finishing at the rim, that that lob gravity, um, and and the the just ability to to make another threat on cuts from the power forward position 
but he also gives you he spaces the floor with his three point shooting so that he's in a lot of ways the perfect guy to play next to Jokic in different ways than Paul Millsap is so he's he's a guy that I think they certainly seem to have it in the plans for a long time and a guy who I think we're going to see as the starter next to Jokic you know for the next 3 4 seasons I'm looking forward to it. One of the things, and we've talked about the the future as it regards Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Nikola Jokic. I really do see Jeremy Grant as one of the better complementary pieces that you can put around those guys just because Agreed. of his versatility, just because with the way that Jamal Murray can both operate on and off ball with the way that Michael Porter Jr. projects to be good with the ball in his hands, but also can spot up and cut and, and, and really also do some is other great things. on the boards. Yeah, exactly. And, and with the way that uh, Jeremy Grant isn't going to knock anybody's socks off with the way he rebounds the ball, but it's a good thing that Michael Porter Jr. is one of the, right. the best rebounding rookies from the forward position we have ever seen. So there, there is definitely a role there. I would absolutely want to see Grant back in a Nuggets uniform. There are very few players in the NBA going forward that I could see as a better fit between Porter and Jokic. Yeah, it's... Uh, go ahead. I mean, there, well, I, mean, there, I think there's two ways to really approach it, that power forward position, which is the the two kind of guys that they have in Millsap and in... Um, Grant, but the problem with Millsap, as we're saying, is you know he's getting he's getting up there in the years. He's having he's had trouble with uh, staying healthy his entire time here in in a Nuggets uniform. You know, ideally, you you, in, in, you if you were going to pick like the perfect guy to fill that role is like a, a guy like a Draymond Green, you know, who still gives you that nastiness and that that defense, but and in spaces the floor, but also like you know is a playmaker, things like that. Like, but that guy, the, the Nuggets aren't getting that guy. That's they don't have the money to to go after a guy like that in free agency they don't have the assets really to give up or are willing to give up to get a guy like that um in a trade so jeremy grant is a guy who you got in-house who you can exceed the cap but still stay under the luxury tax line to get on your roster he's the guy that they've got to get to fill that role next to Jokic. yeah and the way that i totally see the the nuggets offense going forward is having four guys around Jokic who can shoot, who can pass, who can cut, who can handle, and are just interchangeable pieces. With the way that Jamal Murray is an excellent screen setter, there's a reason why he works so well in the pick and roll with Jokic. Well, what if he was doing the same thing for Jeremy Grant or Michael Porter Jr. or guys like that? They're absolutely... I'm, I'm really looking forward to the overhaul in Denver's offensive playbook next year because they have so many versatile pieces if Porter's out there, if Grant's out there at the three four, that they might as they could they could use those guys as handlers and as shooters and as cutters and use Jamal Murray as the screener and, and as the off ball guy as well as the the standard ball handling point guard. So it's gonna be a lot of fun. But we're way off track and we should probably <laughs> talk about this Charlotte game a little bit. Uh as you guys know, we're we're recording this a little bit later, so we're a little bit removed from the the stigma of that game but the the thing that really stood out i would say michael porter jr as much as we've been talking about him over the last five to ten minutes he didn't play at all he didn't play a single second uh what do you make of that decision by michael malone uh and what he said after the fact yeah i was like i say, i mean his comments after the fact kind of is guides what you have to make of it which is obviously he 
thinks that the defense is lacking, and, and he's putting that first and foremost on Michael Porter Jr. I mean, he said it. He said that he played the guys who he felt like gave him the best chance to win tonight, or, well, two nights ago. So it 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 certainly seems to be an indictment on the play of Michael Porter Jr., which is frustrating because, one, they didn't defend very well at all. I mean, Devontae Graham and, and Terry Rozier were, were by far the, the two best players on the court for Charlotte and were the reason that they, they were in that game um, throughout and, and led, honestly, most of the way. So you didn't get that bump, I think, on defense that you were hoping for. Uh, Torrey Craig didn't play bad. He he, uh, he was just fine out there. And, and he has been a very good or solid player um, for them these past, probably for the past month or so. But it, it's, you know, last time they played Charlotte, Michael Porter Jr. was the uh, leading scorer with 19 points. He was the a guy who, as we've seen, get better uh, and better when he's given consistent minutes. And for Malone to pull him back now, it's just, it's disappointing. I get it when you're playing a team like like the Blazers um, with Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum or, or the Rockets with Russell Westbrook and, and James Harden. I get wanting to have Torrey Craig out there because you're really really having a hard time putting Michael Porter Jr. on one of those guys because he's going to struggle. But, I mean, Terry Rozier and Devante Graham, they're good, but it's not like, like, I don't feel like that's a team we need to make special adjustments to the rotation for. So it it seems like he's at at the point where he's going to play, you know, Torrey Craig when he feels most comfortable. And then if there's an opportunity where he's not, really worried uh he'll play michael porter jr he said it doesn't mean that michael porter jr won't play against cleveland but like you know i, I mean darius garland and colin sexton so do we need to play tory craig against those guys because they're ball dominant guards too i it, it's 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 just frustrating because it's i feel like it's not he has not earned being a guy who's getting on the fringes of the rotation. I feel like he's shown improvement from the beginning of the season to where we're at now, and he's shown that he can be counted on to be a positive. Whether or not he's going to have some gaffes on defense, we know he's going to, but we know that he can make up for it on the offensive end, and the numbers bear it out. He's a huge positive when he's in the lineup. So, I I wish it's it's just like it's it feels like Malone and, and you know old just the old school mentality and this rookie's got to earn it and he's got the tightest leash of anyone and and it sometimes like you you know with Malone you always wonder does he get too deep in that mentality on some things that it actually hurts the team and this is one of those situations that feels like that. You want to hear some mind-boggling numbers? I do. Even so, though this is the Denver Stiff Show and not Nuggets numbers. It's true, but but these can't wait, and you know that. Uh, <laughs> the Nuggets have played 17 games with Michael Porter Jr. playing 15 minutes or more. They're 14-3 and three in those games. And a lot of those are against some pretty tough competition as well. Uh, Utah, at Milwaukee, at New Orleans, Houston, at Indiana, uh, at New Orleans again, Toronto, the Clippers, Memphis, and there's just there's just a lot of good talent out there, and a lot of that was while Denver had a lot of injuries. So it wasn't like right. Denver had their full deck stacked during that time, but 
In 14 of those 17 games, Michael Porter Jr. was a positive in those 15-plus minutes that he played. And it wasn't like it was, it's it's not like he's just plus one in all of those games. He's plus 17, plus 11, plus 8, plus 11, plus 13. I can keep going, but right. the real key here is that in 15 of those 17 games, Porter's hit at least one three-pointer. The Nuggets are an awful team shooting the ball right now. And they're clearly, they run hot and cold. Ever since they traded Malik Beasley and Wancho Hernan Gomez, it's really hit or miss in terms of whether they're going to shoot well or not. If you remove Michael Porter Jr. from the equation and you insert Torrey Craig, as much as Torrey Craig has improved over the course of this season, it puts so much pressure on everybody else because people don't treat Torrey Craig as a shooter. It puts right. more pressure on Monte Morris and Jamal Murray and Will Barton and Gary Harris and Nikola Jokic even. Uh, it puts a lot of pressure on those guys to shoot well, and they're not always going to shoot well. Removing one of your best shooters, and let's not make any any bones about it, he is one of their best shooters, it's a it's malpractice for a team that has struggled with offense and can go through these ruts, and that was the reason why they lost in the playoffs last year. You can't just bench that guy. You can't you can't do it. It is unbelievable to me that a guy, a, even a rookie, a rookie that has been as valuable as Michael Porter Jr. has, has to scratch and claw for just 15 minutes a game. Like, it shouldn't be that hard to create a, a situation and a scenario around which the Nuggets can actually play well when he's on the floor, and they can make up for it when he's not on the floor. Like, how how difficult are we talking about here? Right, yeah, it's it, it, it's just frustrating because it's, the talent is just is just clearly there, and 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 everybody can see it. And and I feel like, especially on the defensive end, like I feel like he has got gotten better, like a lot better, the, over the course of the season. Like yes, there are still mistakes, and he ball watches too much, and he and he and he sometimes he closes out way too hard, and just gets blown by a lot. But like you, those are things that he's. I feel like he's working through, and we see less and less of. Um, every game, so it, it, it's just discouraging when when he can't get minutes over Troy Craig. And and the thing about Michael Porter Jr. is he's the one guy. He's the one guy on the team when he is open and he's at the three point line. Like you know that thing's going in. Like the, out of everybody on the team, I think he's the only person you can say with confidence if you leave him open at the three-point line, that he will make that shot nine times out of ten. I mean, even Jamal Murray seems like he gets in his head. Michael Porter Jr. is one of those guys you can tell it just he doesn't even have to think about shooting. It's just natural. It's just instinct to him. And, and to not have that out there, to not have that threat, really, in my eyes, it hurts the team because especially now with Malik Beasley, Juancho Hernandez Gomez gone, This, but this has even been an issue since Will Barton really became a starter at the beginning of last season. They don't have a lot of scoring punch off the bench. They don't really have that classic guy who you bring in that gives you can give you 20 to 30 points on any given night and is usually around 15 a game. Like they, That's a pretty standard and vital role in the NBA. They've they've been missing it for some time. Michael Porter Jr. is definitely the guy who can fill that role for now. Like he's probably gonna end up being a starter uh by I would imagine by next season, but at least for now, 
he can be that scorer off the bench that you need and to to forego it for for Tory Craig like I get it in some scenarios but not against the Charlotte Hornets yeah this was the stretch of games that I was really looking forward to seeing them let him loose a little bit because the schedule just gets tougher from here I mean they have yeah. Cleveland on the road and it's going to be Saturday at 5:30 mountain time so make sure you're aware of that but they're they're going to have a really tough stretch of games in March and I just don't see how many games he's going to be able to play let alone play a lot and get comfortable with the playoff environment because is Malone going to trust him in a playoff series if he's not willing to throw him out there in a March game Right. It certainly doesn't feel like it. Right. I mean, it could be one of those things where it could be an adjustment, you know, but I, I would say right now, if you're if you're a betting man, like I would not be putting money on Michael Porter Jr. getting minutes in game one of the first round because it it certainly feels like, you know, we know that rotation will tighten up. It's it's it fluctuates right now between 10 and nine. It could tighten up to eight, sometimes it even tightens up to seven. In the playoffs, I don't know if the Nuggets go full seven, but I mean, it could be that that case where your eighth guy is like Mason Plumlee and he's getting like ten minutes. But it definitely doesn't feel like there's gonna be a spot for probably Michael Porter Jr. or Torrey Craig, you know, in the playoffs. Like I imagine they're pretty much just gonna go with Monty Morris, Jeremy Grant, and Mason Plumlee off the bench, um, and they're gonna bump up everybody else is gonna be getting close to thirty-five to forty minutes, depending. So. I, if that's not the plan, though, and I don't think it should be, because I think Michael Porter Jr. can win you a playoff game uh, if if you if you give him the opportunity. But if you can't play him in this upcoming stretch, like there's not a bunch of time afterwards. It's, they're going to play the next three weeks is brutal, and then right after that, it's like they got another week and a half, and and then okay, it's it's on on to the playoffs. So if they're going, if they're going to play him the postseason, they're going to need to commit to him now. Totally agree. It's it's unfathomable, in my opinion, and I know that there are a lot of people who are very concerned about this, and they're right to do so. They're right to be a little bit worried. Uh, the Nuggets still gave up 112 points to what was the worst offense in basketball or second-worst offense in basketball over the previous 10 games, uh, and that was with Torrey Craig out there. It's not all on Torrey Craig. It's just that he's not the entire reason why the defense gets better. He's an individually good defender, but Paul Millsap looked pretty bad. And when Paul Millsap looks pretty bad, the defense looks pretty bad. And so that's a larger concern in my opinion. And that's not something that Michael Porter Jr. can fix or Michael Malone can fix because that's a personnel problem. That is not, that is not a, a wing defense issue. So I'm a, I'm looking forward to seeing whether Porter plays against Cleveland Michael Malone said in postgame that, hey, it doesn't mean that he won't play against Cleveland. Well, we're going to find out. It's going to be in a few hours if you're listening to this podcast on Saturday. Uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. Let, let me say this. against The Nuggets play eight games against playoff teams in the month of March going forward. In how many of those do you think Michael Porter Jr. plays over 15 minutes in? Maybe like two? You know, like that's because it's just, I mean, I think, again, it's, it's not that I don't think he should play more, but I just don't see it happening because I don't see the trust. And the thing is, is you're going to play teams that are going to have 
wings as their as their top top guys, and and we've seen Malone really be hesitant about putting. Michael Porter Jr. out there when when he's playing against really quality wing players. You're going to get both the Los Angeles teams. So you're going to get Paul George. You're going to get LeBron James. You're going to get Milwaukee and Giannis in there. You're going to get Dallas with Luka. You're going to, you know, it's going to be a lot of high talent there. And with the other playoff teams they play, I mean, so like maybe he plays against Miami, you know, or, or Toronto. Because we saw him play against Toronto last time. Uh, something like that, but other than that, it, it's hard to see a spot where he's going to get a ton of minutes against these playoff teams because I just don't think Malone trusts him. Yeah, it's it's hard to see it. I'm, huh. I I just don't know. I don't know what the what the end goal is here. Maybe he could play in a Bucks or Lakers game when LeBron James and Giannis Antetokounmpo are off the floor. Uh, Maybe he plays in the Clippers game this time around because that was the biggest factor that they were actually okay when he was on the floor, and then they took him out and the team fell apart. So right. we'll see what happens. He it wasn't like that was going to fix everything, but it could have fixed a couple of things. So tell you what, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to do a ranking of the confidence that we have in each player in Denver's rotation in a first-round playoff series. We'll be right back. This is Denver, Denver Stiff Show. I am Ryan Blackburn, stuttering over my words at the end of this Friday night. Uh, Zach is Ryan's with me. A bottle early. Oh, gosh, I will be. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, we are going to be doing an exercise here. I wanted to discuss which players in Denver's rotation that we have the most confidence in that will show up and do well in the playoffs going forward in the playoffs this year uh that can be interpreted however you want whether you believe that player is going to play a ton of minutes or a few minutes uh we're going to leave that open to interpretation i asked you to rank these players in order and wanted to see who your top guy is i i have a guess who that might be right it's um it's it's an easy uh, answer this year. It was maybe different last season because we didn't know, right? We we all these guys had never played in the playoffs before. Now we have uh, two playoff series under their belt, and it's clearly Nikola Jokic because last season there was the question: Well, does it translate? Does his game translate to the to the playoffs? Are teams going to be able to game plan him? out um, of the game and, and make Denver do something different. And as we found out, no, they're not, they're not going to be able to do it. At least certainly the Spurs and the um, Blazers weren't. Now, the Spurs and the Blazers didn't exactly bring a bunch of stalwarts at the center position themselves, so you could read into that what you will, but I don't think there's a ton of centers in the West now uh, outside of the Lakers who just have you know some two really athletic guys uh, and, and I mean obviously Rudy Gobert is, is a very good center but we've seen with Utah now that they don't have Derek Favors uh, they they, they kind of have a much harder time containing Jokic so outside of the Lakers who do have those two athletic guys right you're going to have Anthony Davis and either JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard next to him uh, right there's no one else who really offers that kind of combo and that's really where I think Jokic tends to struggle. So he to me he's got to be your your top guy because I don't I don't see anybody other than than the Lakers being able to give him any trouble whatsoever. 
I'm going to give you a stat here, and I, I know this isn't Nuggets numbers, but I, I just I, I love sharing this one because it's a really great one. Uh, this is the single-season playoff box plus-minus for players that have played at least 500 minutes in the playoffs in a given season. Uh, first on that list, the best overall, the best of all time, LeBron James at plus 17.5 BPM. Number two and number three are Michael Jordan. Number four is LeBron. Number five is Michael Jordan. Number six is Nikola Jokic at plus 11.6 BPM. He is wonderful. He's a guy who it's really difficult to game plan for because of how versatile his game is, because of how how good he is at making difficult shots. I believe that's going to translate. I don't see any reason why anybody other, maybe the Lakers, is going to give him some trouble, and fortunately for the Nuggets, that will not happen until at least the second round of the playoffs. So uh, he has all the confidence in the world, in my opinion, or from me. So he'll he'll be my he'll be my number one. Uh, number two for me is Jamal Murray. I don't know if you have anything different, but Murray I think acquitted himself well in the playoffs last year. Has shown some good improvement this year, and I believe that he will be even better in the playoffs this coming season. Yeah, I, Murray's definitely my number two as well. You know, he did have some ups and downs um, last season in the playoffs, but he also he flat out won them game two uh, against the Spurs. So he's he's grown this year, and now there's no question he's the second best player on the team, uh, and and he's been really good this past month. So I think he can't. There's nobody else you can pick, and the Nuggets are going to need him to be the second best guy in the playoffs. That's that's why they gave him the big contract that they did is because they they believe that he is you know the the Robin to Jokic's Batman and they're going to need him to play that way if they're going to advance in the playoffs and I think he I think he will I think he's going to be primed to have uh, a big playoffs this year. I'm looking forward to it. He is a guy who has drawn a little bit of uh, concern I would say from people. Uh, whether it be fans, whether it be other media members. I have a lot of confidence in him. He seems to raise his game when the going gets tough and when people don't believe in him. So it he, he likes that pressure. He likes to be pushed. And we'll see if that translates against uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Patrick Beverly of a Clipper series or, or if he can consistently get past a... Uh, Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis Alexander in a first round series against Oklahoma City, but either way, I'm I'm not as concerned with the individual matchup. I just think good players generally rise to the top. Uh, who is your number three? Uh, so at number three, I actually have Monty Morris. He um he's kind of really grown into being that sixth man for the Nuggets, and he's a guy that you will just excels, I think, in playoff-type scenarios. He's a guy who is at his best in a slow-it-down, walk-it-up-the-court, uh, half-court game. He's he's a guy who prioritizes ball security and, and doesn't make very many mistakes. All those things play very well in the playoffs. The only question is how many minutes will he get? You know Jamal's going to get a ton of minutes, so it's going to be a scenario where are they going to play him next to Jamal some? Uh, obviously, he's going to play anytime Murray is out, but that could only be maybe 10 minutes a game. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they fit him in the rotation, but in terms of performance, I think Monty Morris is, is as solid of a rock as the Nuggets have right now, and I don't think there'll be any drop-off in the playoffs. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how much 
two point guard looks we see in the playoffs. Uh, Jamal, we know, is going to play about 35, 38 minutes a night. And if if they can't play two point guards, then I think that limits Monte Morris's role. Last year, he was 0 for 13 from the three-point line. That is that, true. that would be my my biggest concern with putting him that high on this list. I had him number five, but I do believe that a lot of that was just adjustment, was just he was basically a rookie last season trying to figure things out. Things just didn't break his way, and it, he looked pretty uncomfortable. But you're right, he does ha- he does profile as a playoff player, somebody who, even when the defense is giving him a mid-range jumper, he's comfortable taking that mid-range jumper and knows that that's the best shot they can get at any different point and is willing to take it. The question is if he's willing to take it this time around and if he's if he's able to make it at a good rate, uh, because if he does, then he could be a super valuable player. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's very consistent. He plays solid defense, even though he's a little bit smaller. Uh, I do like him, and I think that he could be a very valuable piece. I had him at number five. The guys that I had at number three and number four, respectively, were Jeremy Grant and Will Barton. Uh, I know that Jeremy Grant is probably a hot take, but as we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, he's a very versatile piece. He's a very versatile player who has a lot of ways that he can impact a game on both sides of the ball, whether he's playing one-on-one defense against an opposing wing, whether he is uh, spotting up from the three-point line or cutting uh, for a Nikola Jokic pass, or he's running a little bit of DHO or uh operating as the pick and roll man. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that he can impact a game. And I had him at three. Who did you have at number three and number four? Or you had, you had Monte at three. Who did you have at four? Right. So I had Grant at four and then Barton at five. Um, so we're kind of, we've kind of got like that tier there and we're just a little swapping guys um, back and forth. But yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, the other thing to, to point out is Jeremy Grant has playoff experience. He's been with Oklahoma city uh, for a couple of seasons before here. They they've been in the playoffs every year. So he's, he's a guy who uh, not only fits well, but also is not going, it's not like it's going to be uh, a shock to him when they get to the postseason. He knows what to expect, and he's looked better and better as the season has gone on, particularly playing next to Jokic. I think that that just continues in the playoffs. I'm not going to be surprised if Paul Millsap is only getting 15 minutes a game. I'm not going to be surprised if Paul Millsap is not starting at that point, or if at some point during the playoffs that's the adjustment they make and they end up going to Jeremy Grant in the starting lineup because he think that I think that's just... Like as as I've said that I think that gives them the best chance to win with him at power forward. So he's definitely high on my confidence list as well. Like I said, I got him at four. You know he played he played really well with the Thunder, even though they they lost in five games. He shot forty five percent from three. He was efficient all over the floor. He had two blocks per game, which means they only played five games. So he had ten blocks in five games. That's pretty impressive from a power forward right. position. Uh. If the Nuggets get that kind of production, if they get that kind of efficiency, then that's something that they will celebrate. That's something that they didn't have last year from that position. And if he can just limit his mistakes, try to make the most of what he can defensively, and maybe provide a nice uh, rhythm piece for the guys defensively, uh, somebody who you can just slot on whoever you need to and he'll shut them down, or at least make it a little bit more difficult. That's a great thing. That's a great versatile piece to have. And people have been underrating Jeremy Grant for a, while, a long time. This could really acquit him. Uh, I had 
Will Barton at four and Monte Morris at five. Let's talk about Will Barton. He was pretty bad in the playoffs last year, though he did round into form. He did round into form a little bit in the second round, but that was kind of after the damage had been done in the first round up. What do you think about Will Barton going into this playoff series? Well, a couple things uh, to keep in mind, too, about what happened last playoffs. Everybody was struggling. It just wasn't Will Barton. Like I said, Monty Morris couldn't hit a shot. Jamal Murray was really up and down. Gary Harris struggled. Everybody was struggling. Will Barton was the end one who ended up getting benched because the, the Nuggets were just getting cooked um, by Derek White. So they needed Torrey Craig so that they could uh, basically so they could shift Gary Harris on the Derek White and could keep Torrey Craig on DeMar DeRozan. And that meant Will Barton was the right. odd man out there. So, I, I mean, I don't take a ton into that playoff uh, performance last season. Because like I said, he did kind of come around into form there against uh, Portland. He's also been a much better defender this season. I think that he's going to give them um, uh, plenty of reason to keep him in the starting lineup on the defensive end as well as the offensive end. So I, I, I like where he's coming from. It's just a matter of, you know, Will's a streaky guy. That's always kind of been the case with him. He's healthy, though. He's play, He's looked really good this season. I think he's going to be a guy you can rely on more so than a Paul Millsap, who's who I, who I have at sixth uh, on my list. You know, and he's but not necessarily going to be uh, one of your top three guys. Yeah, very possible. And... I'm a little bit concerned about his size going into the playoffs. He's a guy who, right. even in this season where he's been more efficient as a shooter, he still doesn't shoot that well from inside the arc. And I have a feeling, and this I hope I'm wrong, but I have a feeling that teams are going to figure out that the guy that they really have to close out hard on is Will Barton and make him drive, make him get to the paint and they can bother him. They can like, he's a little bit skinnier. He's not going to draw as many fouls. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they get into a situation where he's shooting three of 12, four of 13 on many nights, just because they're running him off the line a lot. And maybe the shots just not dropping because it's a little bit more pressured. Uh, or he could acquit himself really well and he could, um, he could shoot very well. And like, he had a really good game this past night against Charlotte, a very solid performance. But if he's your third guy, if he's the, the secondary ball handler that you have, I think there's, there's definitely some concerns that at least many national media members have had. And it's something that I share that the nuggets just may not have enough guys that they can trust with the ball in their hands. Uh, the Nuggets are relying on him a lot to take that pressure off of Jamal Murray because if Jamal has a really tough matchup and he needs a pressure release, can Will Barton be that creator? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's um, <clears throat> the, the matchups you look at that really concern you would be like the Clippers because you could see Patrick Beverly locking up Jamal and then you're trying to get you know, maybe some creation from Will Barton, but he's going to have Paul George on him. It's not going to be any easier versus a team like uh, an Oklahoma city where again, Chris Paul, you could see definitely locking up Jamal, but you know, Oklahoma city is going to be, uh, they're quite a bit smaller on the wings. They don't have a, uh, a first NBA all defender out there. So you can, you can probably rely on will more in those scenarios. He, he really is 
uh, an issue matchup-wise against the L.A. teams. That's where you're really going to struggle because uh, you're either putting them on Paul George or you're putting them on LeBron James, and neither one of those um, is a great matchup. That would be something interesting to see if maybe in those series they don't go with Jeremy Grant at small forward and Paul Millsap at power forward um, and try and just bring some more size out there because that that to slow those guys down. I could I could see them going in that direction where when they play these teams that have just got these monstrous small forwards where that that's clearly a weakness for Denver and has been uh, again ever since Will Barton has, has stepped into the starting lineup. Yeah, you know, I think if they're in a situation against the L.A. teams, the guy to bench against the Clippers would be Gary Harris because I don't think that he has a, a guy that he can really defend. And the best player he can defend may be Lou Williams, who's coming off of their bench. Um, but with Barton, I think you have to have him out there. If they put Jeremy Grant into that starting lineup, maybe he guards Paul George and Paul Millsap guards Kawhi Leonard. And then you put Will Barton on Marcus Morris and dare them to go to Marcus Morris every time. Um, that's probably the better way to at least even the odds a little bit because you'd, you'd prefer that to uh, Kawhi Leonard getting the ball against Gary Harris or Will Barton every time. So uh, there are a lot of matchups that I think – there, there are going to be some tough decisions, and if if Will Barton's not providing the offensive value, then the defense becomes really questionable. The defense, especially against bigger guys, becomes really questionable, so we will see about that. Uh, again, I had Nikola Jokic at one, Murray at two, as did you. Uh, I had Jeremy Grant at three, Will Barton at four, Monte Morris at five. I had Paul Millsap at six. Is that where you had him? Yep, and Millsap at six as well. You know, it, like I said, we've we've seen some some uh, fall off from Paul, probably just health related more than anything. Uh, so that I think that just drags him down. He's the, obviously got the most playoff experience. You you don't worry about him um, on the mental side of it. It's just the physical side. Will he be healthy? How much can he contribute uh, against teams? that are going to maybe look at that, you know, look at a team like an Oklahoma City, that that to them they might look at as uh, an advantage, putting Gallinari against Paul Millsap, that that's something that they could try to exploit. So it's if he's not 100%, then, it, then it's hard to have a ton of confidence in him. Um, they're going to need him to play. I mean, he's going to be a big part of this rotation, so uh, they're going to need him to be healthy. And, and if it's one of the guys who they end up maybe managing his load some over this next month, then then so be it. Because it, uh, to me, it's better to have him healthy uh, as a, as a four seed than it is to go in there with a seventy percent Paul Millsap as a two seed. Yeah, we'll definitely see. I think that he is going to play significant minutes, at least at the beginning, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, I'm a little bit worried about his body holding up, and that's that's something that he's been struggling with over the course of this season. He struggled with over it over the course, course of last season. Here. Yeah, exactly. Like he's, he's a guy who the Nuggets have really had to manage his injury situation a lot. And they, they just can't have that in a playoff situation if they have a real aspiration to go deep in this playoff setting. So a uh, little bit worried about him, more worried about him than most people. Uh, number seven, I had Gary Harris. Uh, not sure there's another argument for somebody else. Did you have Gary Harris there? Yeah, exactly. And I think Gary Harris and Paul Millsap kind of fit that next tier of 
you know, guys who you would typically think of as someone you can rely on, but because of what we've seen from them this season, you know, you're you're pairing that back a little bit. And it's with Gary, he's looked much better coming out of the all-star break. He's not shooting a ton of volume, but he is doing it at a fairly efficient rate. So you're hoping to get back that Gary Harris that you, you know, was at his peak two seasons ago because if he's at that level, then he's probably your third guy on this list. But right. with the way he's played this season, you you can't trust the shot. You know he's going to bring it on defense, and that's going to be important in the playoffs. But he can't be a liability. He can't be a guy who the defense is going to just sag off and let shoot because they're not they're not going to respect his three point shot. Like he's going to have to knock that down with regularity. And if he does, then he could be a guy who you know, like I said, he could jump way up on this list. Yeah. So if there were. If, if there was an opportunity, no matter who was starting, if if there was a situation where Denver had to only play seven guys, I think these would be the seven guys that they would play. You'd have the, yeah, the normal right. five starters and then Monte Morris as the sixth man and Jeremy Grant as the versatile bench forward, big combo guy. Uh, and maybe he's starting and Paul Millsap is coming off the bench or maybe uh, – Will Barton or Gary Harris is coming off the bench and they're just they're gonna go small off that bench lineup. But I I don't have a lot of confidence in the three guys below them, at least providing a major impact as somebody who can really change a playoff series given the situations that they're currently in and what we've seen already. Uh I had Tory Craig at eight. I think the tier drop off from six and seven down to Tory Craig at eight is pretty stark. Uh who did you have at eight? Yeah, same thing. I have Tory Craig um, at eight, and I think you go from a tier of you know, for sure rotation player to situational rotation player. There might be a series where, if it's against a Houston, for example, where you might play Tory Craig because you need him against Russell Westbrook, against James Harden. There might be a series where you just can't hit a shot and you need some scoring, and you might put Michael Porter Jr. in there, who's who I have at number nine. Um, against the Lakers, you know, you might see Mason Plumlee a little bit more because the Lakers have a lot of size at the center position. It It's going to come down to situational uh, for all of those guys. I think Michael Porter Jr. can win you a playoff game because we know if he gets hot, he could score 30 points on somebody, and that could happen. I also think, though, like I said, I mean, Torrey Craig could turn help turn a series for you by bottling up uh, an opposition player. I have Mason Plumlee ranked the lowest of those guys because it's just I don't know that there's, one, there's just not a lot of teams outside of L.A. that he's really you see needing all that much Two, you figure Jokic is probably up close to 40 minutes a game in the playoffs. So yeah, Mason, unless they're going to play some two center lineups, which we really have not seen a ton of this season. And I, again, other than LA, I don't know who in the playoffs you would use that against. I mean, if that, if he's not playing two center lineups, then Plum is going to get like 10, 10 minutes a game max. So it, it's hard to see him really having much impact at all in the playoffs. Yeah, and let's let's go through it real quick because I think people people need to visualize that a little bit. Uh, the Lakers at one would be a team that Mason Plumlee could certainly have a role against. You don't necessarily want Nikola Jokic just having to body Dwight Howard for... Uh, right. Every minute that he's not having to defend Anthony Davis when the Lakers go small, uh, that would be a tough situation, of course, for Jokic to be in. Uh, but the Clippers, 
they have Montrez Harrell. Montrez Harrell dominates Mason Plumlee. Like, yeah, yeah I, I but mean, they're going to – and if they start Zubac, and I think that they would against Jokic, uh, the backup center would be Montrez Harrell or Jamichael right. Green or somebody of that nature. And either it's going to be Montrez Harrell who dominates Mason Plumlee on the regular – or it's going to be Jamichael Green or Marcus Morris or somebody who can really space the floor, and it just doesn't matter. Uh, you right. need somebody it's smaller out Jeremy there. Grant. And then you've got Houston, who they're not going to play a center. We know that. Yeah. Yeah. Utah has Utah has Rudy Gobert. Beyond that, they have Tony Bradley. I think you can get away with playing small. I think you could get right. away with playing Paul Millsap at the five or Jeremy Grant at the five, and you'd actually be better for it. Uh Dallas at six, OKC at seven. Do they have any backup centers that really scare you? Willie Colley Stein. No, I mean, and, and, you know, you know Dallas Noel. is probably going to run. Dallas is probably going to run with Porzingis a lot at the center position. So it's again a position where you're not going to want Mason Plumley chasing Chris Stapps Porzingis around out at the three point line. Um, I don't. I mean, obviously Stephen Adams. Is there and, and Rudy Gobert? Those guys are in the the starting lineups, that, but they're going to play up against Jokic a lot. There's not there's not a lot of time where they're going to shift that guy down to the four, uh, like we kind of said with the Lakers and Anthony Davis, you know, to where you would want to play too big. So I I just yeah, I mean I don't see where it, where it comes in into play here um, outside of the Lakers. I don't trust Mason Plumlee's defense. I thought he was exposed over the course of the last playoff series that he was in with Denver, with the the Blazers when a scoring center like Inez Cantor was out there, or with the Spurs when even Jakob Pertl was a guy who was overpowering him, and LaMarcus Aldridge when he was out there was just scoring right around him or over him or through him. So right. I just don't know what kind of role he has. So he's a 10 for me. We haven't really talked enough about Michael Porter Jr., but we, we did talk about him in the second segment. Again, yeah, you're right. He's probably going to win you a playoff game at some point if he gets to play. I just don't have any confidence that he's going to play major minutes. Right, right. and you're gonna you're gonna face teams um, with with a lot of talent on the wings. That's that's just the story of the Western Conference and the playoff picture. Uh, you know, against maybe Oklahoma City is is a game where you might find some minutes for him or a team that you could see some minutes. But beyond that. Um, I mean, maybe Dallas, you know, I, maybe in the first round, uh, but it, it's it's not once once you start facing the Clippers, the Rockets, the the Lakers of the world, it's it's just doesn't seem like there's going to be a lot of opportunity for Malone to trust to put him out there. So um, it, it, it's it's something that I feel like we could see with it, like their backs against the wall, you know, say they go down three, one in a series, they need a spark. They're not getting anything going. They're not getting any scoring going. Then maybe you might put them in there. But, but outside of that, it's tough to see him getting a ton of minutes in the playoffs. Yeah. I really hope they don't have to wait that long. He seems like a guy who could really change the dynamic of most series that he's in. He didn't really play a lot against OKC the last couple of, like he played seven minutes the last time against OKC, but I don't see anybody when he's at his best against OKC that he couldn't score against, like whether it's Gallinari right. or it's against Legert's Dort, uh, who's a six foot four shooting guard, basically who they tasked right. with just guarding a rock, Porter. Like, yeah. I mean, he's, he's a rock and that's fine, but Porter but just Porter doesn't shoot he, right over him. He just shoots right over him. Like Jokic right. usually does when he has a small guy on him. So I think that if he got into a rhythm, 
then there would be nobody in OKC to really guard him. And there's there's a lot of teams like that. Like even Houston, like are they going to really like when when Jokic is also on the floor, are they really going to send PJ Tucker or Robert Covington to guard Michael Porter Jr. as well? Right. They might have to. In which case, you're, the Nuggets are even better for it because he's taking away the attention of some of the best defenders on the opposing team and making it even easier for everybody else around him. So um, right. he when will be attacked. About... <coughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so I was going to say, when you think about Houston in particular, uh, the versatility of a Michael Porter Jr. and a Jeremy Grant plus the length that they have you know, with Jokic out there like that that could present a ton of problems for Houston because here's two guys that are running around at 6'10", uh, along with their seven footer, and those two guys, those six ten guys, can operate out at the wings. Oh, by the way, one of them is still an awesome rebounder, and you still got that seven foot center operating out at you know out at the perimeters or at the high elbow as well, and kind of orchestrating everything. It really throws a wrench in your whole small ball idea because you're not. You're not going to disrupt anything defensively with that small ball team, and you're you're going to not create a ton of mismatches even on the other end because these guys still have the ability to stay in front of these smaller players, but they've got wingspans that are like, you know, seven foot two. So it it takes away a ton of what you would normally want to do with small ball. So that would be interesting. I, I didn't think about that, but that will be another interesting team uh, to really unleash Michael Porter Jr. against. Well, I don't really have that much more for you. I don't have much more for the Denver Stiffs listeners. If you got to this point, then thank you so much for tuning in. I did. I mentioned it on the previous edition of this podcast, but didn't really mention it this time around. We have hoop swag socks for the Denver Stiffs for all guys who and girls who are interested in supporting our charity event with Hope Kids Colorado. If you're interested in sending kids with cancer and other life-threatening illnesses to the Nuggets game on April 5th on Sunday against the Utah Jazz, packing out that venue, making it really loud, uh, then you could either donate on denverstiffs.com, find the post about Hope Kids, or you could go on hoopswag.com and find the Denver Stiffs Mile High Socks. Every $10 of the $15 for those socks goes towards Hope Kids and goes towards buying tickets to get those kids to games. It's one of the best things that we do at Denver Stiffs. I'm really looking forward to that event and seeing how many people we can get there. We've had so many donations and so many socks bought already, so I I, I can't be happier with how things are going. If you're interested, make sure to drop a line and make sure to... Make sure to check that out. Uh, Zach, do you have any parting thoughts before we go? Uh, so yesterday when we recorded the pod, you mentioned you were wearing your, your hoop swag socks. So I just want to know, have you have you gone a full 24 hours? Are they now like your lucky socks and you can't take them off? <laughs> you know, I, I thought about mentioning that before this pod, but I am not wearing my socks. <laughs> I decided the sanitary thing with the coronavirus roaming about was to change my clothes into some clean clothing. Uh, you know that's right. that that's what a that's what a nice hygienic uh, boy does. He just he just takes care of himself. So uh, with go. that, with all of those wonderful things that I just said for some reason, uh, he is Zach Mikosh, deputy site manager for Denver Stiffs at Zach Mikosh on Twitter. I'm Brian Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you guys next week. 
See ya.